Well, welcome to uh, Beyond Church. My name uh, is Chris. If you snuck in late uh, or if you missed it earlier, uh, we're really excited to have you along with us tonight. We are in uh, part two of a four—sorry, uh, yeah, part two of a four-part series that we've been doing called "Normal Isn't Working." And with this series, we're looking at this idea of normal that we have in our lives. You know, what do you consider normal? What do I consider normal? And and where is it in our life where normal really isn't working? And what can we do to uh, change that? What can we do to fix it? What can we do to create a new normal, a normal that actually works? Uh, for me, um, when I was uh, definitely, when I was living at home, I'm getting better slowly, uh, my wife will tell you, is my normal, you know, the back seat of my car or the floor of my uh, bedroom or just kind of uh, anywhere around the house where I decided to leave something used to look a little bit like this. Now, this was normal. This was my normal for me. Uh, when I got married, I learned that everything has a place. And there's a reason that it has a place and you need to put it in its place. For some of you, you might have deliberately chosen to sit on this side of the church because when you came in and saw a washing basket, it was all out of order. It was just freaking you out. You didn't want to have to look at it. Me just doing this, like you're just like freaking out. You know, you're going to have to look at this all service. You're not going to hear a single thing I'm saying because you're fixated on the mess. Because for you, it's just like normal. And then the other half of you are like, yeah, what's wrong with it? It's kind of like, that's like the backseat of my car. It's probably even neater, actually. And then over here, you've got, the, you've got a different kind of normal that some people consider um, <clears throat> normal. You know, everything's laid out. It's neat. It has its place. Maybe you're one of those people when you walk into the, your office at work and everything is like measured up with the, like to the centimeter. You know, you've got the eye kind of measuring up the coffee cup with the edge of the table. Everything has got its place. And with this series, we're, we're looking at the idea that everyone has a different normal and we gauge our normals on, on everyone else. And, uh, and what I want to really get across is I don't really care if your backseat of your car looks like this. I don't really care if, you know, your wardrobe looks like this. It's okay for those places to look like this. It's not okay for your life to look like this, though. It's not okay for your life to be such an absolute mess that you have no idea, you know, where the space is. You have no idea where the margins are. You have no breathing room. And so in this series, what we're doing is with this normal isn't working, for a lot of us, this is not our entire life. But there are definitely areas of our life, whether it's our time, whether it's our finances, whether it's our relationships, there are definitely areas of our life where for us, this, it's starting to get out of control. And for us, you know, normal isn't working anymore. And how do we begin to create a new normal? And if you were with us um, last week, we gave you a definition of normal. We said this is not the normal that you and I experience, but this is the normal that we want to get to. And so we said that normal is a cadence of life that can be sustained in order to operate at optimal efficiency. In other words, the cadence, there is a pace of life that you and I need to find to, that we can go through life and not only just go through it at that pace, but that we can sustain it. Sustain it not for eight hours on a work day and then come home and collapse on the couch. Sustain it not for like a week and then pass out on the weekend watching movies. Sustain it not for a month or for a year or two years, but something that we can sustain for our whole life. And then we added this, a pace that not only we can sustain, but one that we, where we can operate at optimal efficiency. Because you can operate at a pace that you can sustain for, for you know, one year or two years and it be can become to, to seem normal but it's not your optimal efficiency. And last week we looked at, funnily enough, in church, the Bible. 
um, the book that maybe some of you kind of push back against, you're a little bit scared to open it. And we, we actually looked at this story where God creates a new nation. And the nation of Israel, this is the new nation that God's cre- God create or God sets up, was under slavery. And they'd been in slavery for decades. And they'd been under the slave, uh, they're under the rule of the Egyptians. And the Egyptians had some pretty harsh ways in which they had to follow, uh, carry out their lives if they wanted to survive. So if you were sick, you kept working. You never had a day off. You never had a break. And so the, uh, when the Israelites came out of slavery, when God was starting this new nation, he said, you have lived in suboptimal conditions for so long that it has become normal to you. You have lived in this suboptimal way for so long that in your head it's normal and you know it's not working, but you don't know how to create a new normal. And so God gave them some, uh, some rules and some laws and some way of living that would help them create an optimal efficiency and a cadence that they can begin to sustain. And if you're with us last week as well, we wrapped up the entire last week. Uh, if, if you weren't here, this is pretty much all you need to know. We, we asked one question. Uh, if you were here, uh, hopefully you thought about it during the week. If you weren't here, you'll be able to think about it in five seconds. It's that easy. So we asked you a question. We said, uh, what do you consider normal that you know isn't working? What do you consider normal that you know isn't working? And this week, we're going to look specifically at our time and our schedules. At our time and our schedules. For some of us, you know, we need to create a new normal in that area of our life. And if you're maybe one of those people where you think, this doesn't really apply to me got my schedule back, I've got it done. Maybe you've been operating at a suboptimal efficiency for so long that, that maybe there's a chance that, that you don't actually know, like that's become your normal. And so here's some just thoughts uh, for you to think about. And these are some indicators that maybe the way you schedule your time or the way that you uh, schedule or put things into your calendar isn't working and that you need to create a new normal. You might need to create a new normal if you say things like, I'm just, I'm just going to be five minutes late. I just, I'll I'll be there, but I'll be 15 minutes late today, okay? You need to create a new normal if your friends have to tell you a different time so that you'll rock up on time. You know, your friends tell you 15 minutes earlier so you'll be there on time. Your friends tell you half an hour earlier so that you'll be there on time. If you're going to an hour, wow, you really, you really got to listen to this one. Maybe for you, uh, it's got to a point in your life where you're at work and you're thinking about home and you're at home and you're thinking about work. And when then when you're at work, you're thinking about home because there's so much stuff going on. Then you're back at work thinking about home because you just don't know how to manage your time and everything is all over the place. So you're just trying to spend so much time at work and then you're worried about home. And then when you get home, you know you've got to do things, but things at work and your schedule has got out of control and so you can't help but thinking about work. Maybe for some of you, you're in a period of, uh, stage of your life where you're single. And for you, all you seem to do is say yes to every invitation that you have. Yes, 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 yes. And so your time gets filled up, but you never achieve much of anything. And then you look back on the year or the week and you think, you know, I did a lot of stuff. I was really busy, but what is it that I actually achieved? I want to get some perspective on this time. Um, and there's a number of ways I could address this, if I'm completely honest. There's a number of ways that we could go about talking about your time, talking about your scheduling. I could uh, give you a time management seminar, but those don't work. Um, 
you know, some of you do need to buy some time management software. Some of you need to invest and get some of that stuff. But the general reason that time management seminars don't work is because when you go, the person is trying to sell you a product. And if the product doesn't match up with your personality, then you'll incorporate it into your life for a week or for two weeks or for a month or for a couple of months, and you'll think you're organized. And then all of a sudden, it stops. And then all of a sudden, it was never really a part of your life, and then the schedule just goes out, and then you say things like, well, there's no time management system that'll work for me. You know, I've tried it, and it just doesn't work. We could go that way, but we're not going to. We could look at scheduling. We could look at phasing. We could look at how you could uh, take out blocks of your day and dedicate them to certain things. We could work through the getting things done uh, model, which is fantastic. But instead, what I thought what I would do is, I would give you one big idea related to time and one big application. One big idea and one big application point. And we're going to get this perspective and we're going to get this idea and this application point uh, from a guy called Moses. And Moses was a, was a guy who, he had some perspective on time. And if you're a church person or maybe you've been around church a little bit, we're going to actually get this gem of Moses in the book of Psalms. And most of us, if you've been around church for a while, uh, you, you think of Psalms and you think of David. They're poetry, they're lament, it's prose. But Moses actually writes Psalm 90. And Moses has some really interesting things to say when it comes to time. Because during the course of his life, Moses really lived almost four, four separate lives. Now, Moses lived for 120 years, we're told. And whether you believe that or not, that's okay. I'm inclined to believe it because the Bible tells us random snippets of information that you wouldn't expect to be there if it was made up. It tells us at 120 years old, Moses had great vision. Moses had 20-20 vision at 120 years old. Now, the first stage of Moses' life, he was, um, he was actually uh, put up for adoption. Uh, and he was a Hebrew Israelite and he was adopted uh, by the Egyptians that the Israelites were enslaved to. And so he was actually adopted into Pharaoh's house. And so for the first sort of... Uh, stage of his life, phase of his life. He's hanging out with Pharaoh. He's got the plasma screen TVs. You know, he's got his food on tab. He's got Xbox, PlayStation, anything you could want. And then enter his teenage years and he got a little bit rebellious. Now, parents, um, I want to hopefully, maybe your child has been a little bit rebellious in their teenage years. Hopefully they haven't been as bad as Moses. You know, if you think, oh man, my child's a handful, just think of Moses. Moses killed a guy and then Moses ended the second phase of his life after he <coughs> excuse me, killed a guy, he goes out into the desert where he runs away to hide and becomes a shepherd. I don't know if you know much about being a shepherd, but it's pretty boring. You sit there with your sheep and you watch them day after day after day after day. And you sit in the same area and the sun comes up and the sun goes down. And Moses did this for 40 years. 40 years, Moses is in the back blocks, sitting there being a shepherd, thinking, that's it, my life is done. And then God calls Moses back, and Moses enters into one of the biggest showdowns in history with Pharaoh, where he goes toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. And he breaks the Israelite people free from the slavery of the Egyptians. And then in the final phase of his life, the final kind of life that Moses lived of his four, he was the ruler, the prime minister, the president, whatever you want, of the nation of Israel. He went from a murderer living out in the back blocks to the prime minister of the nation of Israel. And he led his people through the wilderness and he got right up to the promised land that God had promised to give them. And God said, you can't go in. 
But if you can go up on that mountain, you can see it because you've got really good vision. So you can have a look at the promised land. That's why I left you 120 years with great vision. You can check it out. So Moses has got a unique perspective on time to give us. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, maybe one of the things you're thinking and you're pushing back against is, well, okay, I know that Moses might have a unique perspective, but I don't believe the Bible, so I don't know if I can believe what Moses has to say. And maybe for some of you, the reason you don't read the Bible is because you don't believe the Bible. You don't have to believe everything you read. In fact, most of us don't believe everything we read. We read it to determine whether it's true or not. So I would challenge you, even if you, even if you don't believe Moses was a historical figure, even if you don't believe the Bible's true... Just, just listen to what it has to say and what Moses has to say in regards to time and then make up your mind whether it's true, whether it's beneficial. And we're going to pick up in Psalm 90, verse 1. And this is what Moses says. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout the generations. And Moses is talking to the nation of Israel here and he goes, in the context of our lives, in the context of how we know you, you know, we have always known you, have, you are God and we have always lived in relationship with you. And then he goes on, he said, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And what Moses is saying is that if there's a line that goes out this way forever and then a line that goes out in this way forever, that is your perspective on time, God. You are everlasting to everlasting and then here we are the nation of Israel and Moses, living my four lives. Just a snippet. So in the context of everlasting to everlasting, this is where I find our life. This is where we find our life. And now the the next couple of bits, I'm going to let you know that Moses originally, or this originally would have been written in Hebrew. And so Hebrew to English, when they translate it across, it's a bit clunky. So there'll be some clunky phrases coming up, but it's okay. Uh, I'll walk you through and we'll get through it together. It says in the next part, Moses writes, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. I don't even know about Lord of the Rings, but that like seems like a Gandalf kind of quote. Like, I don't know anything about it, but it seems like something Gandalf would say, return to dust, you mortals. <coughs> and we hear that, in our context, we think, well, that's a bit offensive. Whoa. But it wasn't offensive for Moses, and and it wasn't offensive for the people that he was writing the letter to, because in essence, what Moses was alluding to and what Moses was saying is he goes, God, you have control over our life. You have control over the number of days we live and over, over our life. And whether maybe you acknowledge it and you think about it consciously or maybe whether you've pushed it down, in some way, you and I believe on some kind of level that, that God has something to do with the length of time that we live our lives. On some level, we believe that God has something to do with, with how we live our lives. Now, does, does God know exactly how many days we live? I don't know. Does, does God know exactly the hour that, that we'll, we will die? I don't know. But ask yourself this, if you were diagnosed with a terminal illness tonight, would you pray? If the person that you are, you know, you're connected to most in this world, the person you care about most in this world that you're connected to was diagnosed with a terminal illness tonight, would you pray for them? Even if maybe you've never prayed in a long time or maybe, maybe you haven't prayed at all, maybe you didn't know how to pray, you might pray something like, God, j- just help me. God, protect them. Because we believe at some level, 
that God has something to do with the length of our lives. And this is what Moses is alluding to, that God has something to do with the length of our lives. And then he goes on, he says, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. In other words, in the context of everlasting to everlasting God, the life that we value so much, the life that we get so hyped up about, a thousand years is like a day. And, and a watch in that kind of context, a watch that someone would sit through the night and watch was about three to four hours. So then Moses takes it to the next level, you know, okay, not even a day, just like three or four hours. A thousand years is like three or four hours and then we're kind of, whoop. that's the context that we live our life on. And now the next part, the next part is, is the clunkiest part. It's, um, it's, the Hebrew language is a language of concepts and ideas. It's not like our English language where we write things in paragraphs and essays and letters. They talk in concepts and ideas. So I'm going to read it to you first and then I'm going to give you the concept or the idea that Moses is trying to get across. This is what it says. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In it springs up new life, but by evening it is dry and withered. And he's still talking about the context of our life. If you really want to understand the context of your life in the context of everlasting to everlasting, it's like grass that comes up in the morning and then 12 hours later it's dead and it's gone. You feel motivated? Aren't you glad you came to church tonight so that you could see that your life is just kind of like, like a day? <clears throat> and then he, sorry, then he goes on. We'll, uh, we'll get to the bit where, where he rephrases it. He says, um, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them may be trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And, and what, uh, what he's really kind of getting at, he goes, you know, we, we get so caught up in the sorrow and the trouble that we're experiencing now that we forget in the context of just our lives how quickly time will fly. Moses is saying, if you want to have a competition about who's had a harder life, let's, let's talk about it. 40 years as a shepherd got to the promised land, couldn't go in. Had to see it from a mountain. And even from his perspective, he's saying it quickly passes. And this is the last part of that passage that that I'll sum up the concept, the idea. He says, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. It's offensive. It's like, is that even a sentence? Like, it just seems like three different sentences smashed together. You know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a topic sentence. There wasn't, where are we going with this, Moses? And the, the idea that Moses is trying to get across, the idea that Moses is trying to get us to understand is this. If we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence that he is due. In other words, if we could see God in the context of everlasting to everlasting, we would have a different way, we would have a different thinking, we would have a different thought process behind how we understand Him. And then he takes it one step further. He said, if we could see God as He is, we would be more careful with the time we have been allotted. In other words, if you could see your life in the context of everlasting to everlasting, you would be a lot more careful with the time that has been allotted to you. So we don't normally think like this in, in, our, um, in our life until, until Moses gets us and, and forces us through some really abrupt language to step back 
and begin to look at what context our lives are lived in. See, usually the context that we live our life is not everlasting to everlasting. It's like 8am to 5pm. You know, it's like getting through to the next week. It's not within the context of everlasting to everlasting. And I hope you've been paying attention because this is where Moses builds it because this is the application point. He says, once you know the context that you're living in your life, once you know that you've got an allotted period of time, here's the application point that I want you to take home. And he says it in Psalm 90.12. He says, teach us to number our days. Teach, because this is not normal for us. This is not normal for you. This is not normal for me. We go through our lives and we put so much in our schedule and our schedules tend to look like this. And what this really says is, is I believe that I have a limitless amount of time because my schedule is so full that I'm going to get through everything on it. And so we treat our time as as if it is limitless. And Moses says, no, you need to teach us to number our days. If you've ever been married, probably the brides, because, you know, I can pick on guys, you know, we're pretty disorganized. If you've ever been a a bride or you've ever got married or you've maybe been a best man or a maid of honor, you know that there is a time when you need to number your days. You know, you know when the wedding date is out in the future and then you work backwards and you know all the things that you have to put in place by the time you get married. Your days are numbered and you begin to think about that way, think about it accordingly. You begin to spend time getting the suits ready and you double check and you triple check that all the boys have got their suits and that they're fitted so they're not getting them the week before. You know, you book the venue in advance. You make sure that the pastor or the celebrant or whoever is marrying you is ready. You make sure that afterwards, you know, you've got a honeymoon booked and you've got a place to stay. If you're maybe one of the few people in the history of the world who have ever studied for an exam studied well, I mean, not crammed the night before, you know what it's like to number your days. Because you know that in three weeks' time, there's an exam I'm going to have to take. And I only have a limited amount of time until I can prepare to take that exam. So I have to treat each day as as if it is numbered. It's limited. And so I have to approach that in a certain way. Most of us get to the end and the night before, and we have been treating our days as if they're limitless, as if we are always going to have another day to study, as if we're always going to have a little bit more time to get it done. And so the night before, we're pulling all-nighters, then we rock up to the exam really, really tired and kind of wired on caffeine. You know, it's like that weird balance where you're sort of half asleep but then also super awake because you've had so many energy drinks, so much coffee. Because we acted as if our days were limitless as opposed to limited. And then he says this, teach us to number our days that. In in other words, there's a benefit to numbering your days. There's a reason to numbering it. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that in numbering our days, we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because you will gain a perspective that you've never had before. Because when you live as if your days are numbered, all of a sudden your time is not limitless, it's limited. And this is the big point. This is the point you need to take home tonight. Is that remembering that our time is limited will help us to know what to do with our limited time. Remembering that our time is limited will help us know what to do with our limit, or sorry, how to spend, what to do, how to spend our limited time. Now, for so many of us, we hear these things and we're like, right, okay, this is a new perspective limited time, okay, I've got got some limited time and you'll think about it tonight and then you'll go home and then tomorrow your schedule will still look like this. 
Next week, your schedule will still look like this. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a perspective, a perspective of wisdom. And I want to give it to you through the lens of Bronnie Ware. And and Bronnie Ware uh, is an Australian nurse uh, who spent much of her career in palliative care. Uh, She's written a number of blogs. She's actually got two books released at the moment. And the reason I want to share with you Bronnie's perspective is because Bronnie was a palliative care nurse. So she was with people during the final moments or the final weeks or the final months of their life. And after she was spending a lot of time with them, she began to ask them, what are your biggest regrets? Tell me, if you could go back, if you could change anything about your life, you could do things differently, what would you change? And she writes a book called The Top Five uh, Regrets of Dying People. But tonight, I just want to share the top two. And I want to share with, with you the top two so that you will gain the wisdom as if you had fast-forwarded to the end of your life. As if you were like pretty much everyone else that Bronnie Ware has interviewed and you were looking back. Maybe you see this as irrelevant. Maybe you're like, why do I need to act as if I've got limited time? Because you don't want to get to the end of your life and you don't want to have these two regrets. The number two regret is that I wish I didn't work so hard. So this came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Uh, Women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. So obviously she's dealing with the the generation that's just gone, so not a lot of females in the workforce there, but, but it's the same. All of the men deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of their work existence. In other words, so many of these men didn't realize that their time was limited. They crammed their schedule full. For them, it was, it was limitless time. And then they got back and they wished that they realized that their time was limited. Their time with their kids was limited. Their time with their partner was limited. Their time with their friends was limited. And they wished they'd thought about it differently. This was the number one regret that she says. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life that's true to myself and not the life others expected of me. So this is the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams and had to die knowing, and this is the bit where it's going to hurt, they had to die knowing that it was due to the choices they had made or not made. It wasn't anyone else's decision to begin for them to live as if their time was limitless. It wasn't anyone else's decision not to get their schedule in check. It wasn't anyone else's decision for them to, to not realize that their normal with their, in relation to the, their time wasn't working. They didn't create a new normal, and that's not anyone else's fault but their own. And that was the number one regret. And tonight, I don't, I don't want you to... to to hear this and, and not understand that your time is limited. I wanted to share this so that you don't get to the end of your life and you don't look back with regrets. I wanted you to be able to gain a heart of wisdom. And tonight, as, as we wrap up, we have this thing at Beyond called For Monday because we believe that there's no point coming to church if, it doesn't, if it's not helpful, if it doesn't impact you, if it doesn't change you for Monday. And this week, I want to help you gain a heart of wisdom so that you can realize that your time is limited. And that you need to limit what you do with your time. And so um, at the communion stands and at the back, we're going to have this card um, at, at our connect desk at the back. And we're going to have this um, card up on it. And on this card, there's, there's four areas. 
So as you leave tonight, whether you come up for communion and, and grab one, or if, if you don't want to come up for communion, they're at the Connect desk at the back, but grab one. And at the very top, have a look at your calendar, have a look at your schedule, and decide one thing that you want to add. Something that you're always saying, you know, oh, I, really, I really value this, I really want to do it, but I don't. I just can't fit it in. It's something you really care about. What's one thing that you need to add to your schedule? Then I want you to identify what's one thing you need to take away. What's one thing that you spend so much time on and you know it's a waste of time, but you need to eliminate that altogether. You need to push it to the side. It's not helping you. You know, it, it's, it's actually just filling up your time, helping you act as if your time is limitless. And I'm going to be really honest here. Some of you, when you see this, you're going to need to write a name down on that list, on that line. Some of you are going to need to write a group of initials down on that line. And it's not because the, the, pe- the person is bad. It's not that God doesn't love them. It's just that this person forces you to spend your time constantly in a way as if it is limitless. And they drag you away so that your time and your schedule begins to look a lot like this. You might need to add a name or a couple of names. Then the next line, I want you to put something down that you want to turn up. Something that you want to do a little bit more. Maybe, maybe you, you do it a little bit. Maybe it's a stress relief thing. Maybe, maybe you really enjoy it, but you just don't get the time at the moment. It's, it's kind of there, but it's not really. What's something you need to turn up a little bit? And then lastly, what's something that you need to turn down? Something that you know, you know, you can't eliminate it completely. You still need to do it, but at the moment, you're just spending way too much time on it. It's becoming such, you know, it's consuming where you're spending your time and where your time is being allocated that, that you really just need to turn it down. So I want to encourage you to begin to look at this because when you start to look at it this way and look at it through the light of your calendar, you'll begin to realize that your time is limited. So you need to limit what you do with your time. Not so that God will love you, not so that, you know, you'll get a reward, but you'll gain a heart of wisdom if you begin to realize that. And then you'll be able to step back with a clearer perspective and you'll be able to decide what you can say yes to and what you can say no to. All because you've realized that your time is limited, so you need to limit what you do with your time so you can gain a heart of wisdom. We're going to pray right now and um, Toby's going to jump back up on the keys as we do this. But Father, we just want to thank you for Moses' perspective. We just want to thank you for the psalm that he wrote to, to give us a, a perspective to see that you know, our lives in the context of everlasting to everlasting are, are so small. It's such a speck, uh, such a, just a day or a watch in the night. And Lord, we're only here for a short time, which means we have to be deliberate with how we spend our time. Lord, we don't want to look back on our life with regret. We don't want to look back on our life wishing that we hadn't worked so hard, wishing that we had the the courage to follow where you called us or follow our dreams. So Father, I pray tonight that there are some people out there who their schedule is just all over the shop. They don't know what to say yes to, what to say no to, and so they end up just saying yes and no to a whole heap of random things. But tonight, would you show them that their time is limited? Do they need to begin to think about and change the way they think about their time because sooner or later they'll get to a point in their life where it's all too late to change it. And Lord, for those of us who are pressing into this tonight, Lord, even though it's challenging, even though it's difficult to think about time this way, Lord, I pray that you would encourage those people tonight to press in, 
to realise that they have limited time, Lord, and that when they begin to realise that, and when they begin to live that way, they'll gain a heart of wisdom. Because you want to give us something, you don't want to take something away from us. So, Father, I pray for people tonight that they would take those cards and they would begin to ponder this week what's taken up their time. Is it where they want to be putting their energy? Are they living as if their lives are limited or limitless? Help us to all gain a heart of wisdom in how we spend our time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.